So Jesus also told this parable to some people who were confident in their own righteousness and they looked down on others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, Jesus began. One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a day, and I give 10% of everything I receive. The tax collector, however, stood a long way off and would not even lift his eyes towards heaven, but he beat his chest and he prayed, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this man went home to his house that day forgiven in right standing with God, not the other one. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The word of the Lord. <laughs> All right, let's pray uh, again, because prayer is good. Let's go and do that, okay? Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for waking us up today. Thank you for the privilege and opportunity it is to worship you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and you would open our ears, <clears throat> open our eyes, open our hearts as we sit under your word. Lord, let us inwardly digest these words of yours. Lord, that we might bear more fruit, that we might better understand our identity in you. So come, Holy Spirit, teach us, guide us, change us. Amen. Okay, so we are in page 877 of our Blue Bibles. Luke 18, <clears throat> verse 9. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great self-confidence and scorned everybody else. As I look out this morning, I see a bunch of really great plaid shirts. Tis the season. But I don't see anyone in here that is so self-confident, so proud, so contented in themselves that they scorn or despise others that don't look exactly like them. Maybe that's you secretly. But my guess is no. So before we uh, dismiss ourselves to brunch, because this clearly doesn't apply to us, right? I would remind us that parables can be like mirrors. If we pass quickly by them, we may see something out of the corner of our eyes that looks similar to us. But if we'll slow down and really look, we can see ourselves therein. So this morning, I invite you to listen, to pray, 
to watch, to peer deeply, because my guess is that God has something for each one of us. So two men went up to the temple to pray. (coughs) One, a Pharisee, the other, a tax collector. No adjectives, no explanations needed, especially to this crowd, because they knew who the Pharisees were. These were the religious elite, the leaders, the guys that knew the Bible really well, the guys that had the red bat phone directly to the king of the universe, and apparently they had a really good fashion designer. If you've read anything else about them, they've got this special fashion thingy, which, you know, I can appreciate. Uh, Tax collectors were shady. These guys were crooks. Um, The Romans didn't monitor or care how the tax collectors got them their agreed-upon tax rate, just that they got it to them on time. And so what they would do is they would charge a collecting fee. Sometimes they would upcharge it by double. And what's worse is that they were doing this, they were extorting their own country women and men. So for the most part, tax collectors were just dishonest at best. Now, Very important detail before we move any further in our text. Both of these men were moving purposefully and willingly towards God or their concept of him. Two men went up to the temple to pray. They both are moving towards God. They're both seeking, they're searching, they're looking to connect with the God of the universe. Now, verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, everyone else, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and especially not like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week, and I give 10% of all that I receive. We can just see him there in the interior courts of the temple with all of his regalia. He's praying this prayer, which as far as he is concerned is true and honorable. As far as our Pharisee is concerned, what he's praying is true and it's honorable. As he prays, he looks back and he sees this scoundrel in the back of his church. God forbid. He knows this guy isn't honest. He knows that he's unjust. He knows that he manipulates the system. He thinks that he probably has a family member or a friend that this guy has specifically extorted for money. And in my mind, I see him pointing right as he prays. And again, as far as he is concerned, this is a true and honorable prayer. God, thank you that I'm not like him. I'm not a crook. I don't extort my fellow country women and men for money. Thank you. It's a true and honorable prayer. Okay, so what do we know about Mr. Pharisee? He is the quintessential morally upright leader. The Pharisees, the organization, this sect of Judaism, began some four to seven hundred years earlier. We don't have a, a specific incorporation date. But these guys were reformers. They raised the flag for the nation of Israel when leadership crisis after leadership crisis 
kept happening. And essentially what they were saying is, look, because we keep ignoring the clear commands of God, we keep ending up in captivity. We have to stop disobeying God. We have to stop. So the Pharisees were the good guys. But then over generations and centuries, the fences that they put up to keep Israel from disobeying ended up adding to what God had spoken. They put these extra burdens upon the people of God, and in short, they got religious. That's where the mirror might be getting a little clearer for us. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I this, I that, I don't, I do. So his confidence is rooted in comparison and credentials. Our Pharisees' confidence is rooted in comparison and credentials. And comparatively speaking, he really is a better human. Like, think about this. He really is better. He's not dishonest with his own people. He's a leader in the church. He's not cheating people out of money. My guess is he's probably doing life 89% perfect, which is a B. I got Bs. Bs are good, right? Like if, if you looked objectively and you, you put him through all the marks of what external righteousness is, this guy is excelling. And he's got the credentials as well. He's got the degree. He says his prayers. He has the right clothes. He knows the priests. He knows the musicians. This is his church. And I want us to remember that these guys were the spiritual heroes. It's highly possible that our Pharisee is a really good dude. Like, we might really like him. We might be him. The mirror getting a little clearer. Comparison and credentials. We, good people of Grace Northridge, we don't ever lean on those, do we? No. Okay, so I'll just keep going. We're going to find something for us this morning. Verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven. So many details here. Mr. Pharisee marches right up to the front row. It's his church. He knows all the pastors. He knows the music team. But our tax collector, in his movement towards the God of the universe, comes only as far as the back row. I don't know if you noticed it, but Front Row Joe lists a bunch of eyes. I'm this, I'm that, I'm not this, I'm not that. The tax collector simply drops his. Pronoun, body part. The difference is astounding, right? Their posture is so different. The Pharisee has his chest puffed up. He's at the front. He's got these five me monsters that he drops to the God of the universe, by the way. All the while, he's got his eyes on this other person. Do you notice that? So he, he lists a bunch of his credentials, his comparisons, and then his, his eyes, his body parts, are focused on this other person. In fact, you might even say he's beholding this other person. Uh, I love the way the New Living Translation says this. 
the tax collector dared not even lift his eyes to heaven. Instead, he beat his chest, which is a sign of sorrow and humility, and he prays, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. No excuses, no mitigating circumstances, no entitlement, no justification, right? I went to church last year a bunch. I gave to Salvation Army. I worked at the soup kitchen. I only drink light beer, blah, 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 <laughs> right? Like there's none of that justification. There's no entitlement. God have mercy on me for I am a sinner. You see, the Pharisee is beholding the, the moral superiority of himself and the inferi- inferiority of someone else. Our tax collector is simply beholding the holiness of God. Isn't that interesting? The tax collector is simply beholding the holiness of God. Comparative self-righteousness, this attitude, well, I'm not like them, it's just a defense mechanism so that you and I don't have to deal with our own stuff. Um, I want to tell you uh, a story of when this became written deeply within my heart and upon my arm, as it were. Uh, this is a picture of me. Uh, well, first off, I don't know if you know this, but I have a few tattoos. Uh, this is me about 10 years ago in Chicago getting, getting one of these tattoos. Um, I don't know if you can make it out. You can go to the next one, Aaron. I see a nice plaid shirt there. Plaid shirt, my guy, yep. Um, so. The guy in blue is the tax collector. And there's some angels, and the Holy Spirit's the dove, and that's the outer court column. Anyway, I want to tell you why I got this tattoo. I was a student at Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, I had just finished my coursework, and all I had to do for my master's was to write my thesis. And so some friends of mine from A&M who were uh, in Chicago at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, said, hey, why don't you move uh, to Wicker Park, Hipsterville, and let's just, let's write your sermon, your, uh, not your sermon, it's much longer than a sermon, your thesis from here. And so I moved to Chicago uh, in February, as one does, it's beautiful that time of year. <laughs> Legitimately icebergs in the lake. I was like, what in the world? So I moved to Chicago for 90 days to write my thesis. I got a tattoo. Um, Here's the quick backdrop. Got saved when I was 12. Became Bible boy in junior high and high school. Went to Christian Disneyland, a.k.a. Texas A&M. Then, as soon as I graduated, I worked at a mega church, and then I started seminary. So I've got all the things going, right? Like, I'm checking all the boxes. I'm being super Christian boy. I don't have any tattoos at this point, okay? But I was really self-righteous and judgy. Like, really self-righteous. I I would compare my outward righteousness to everyone else. Uh, When I see somebody from high school that I haven't seen since high school, uh, of course, there's the, hey, so great to see you. And then immediately after, I kid you not, Dude, I'm really sorry. I was a jerk. I was a religious jerk. Please forgive me. Like, if if you'd have gone to high school with me, you would have not liked me. Because I was just judging you the whole time. It's not good. 
I was this super morally religious Pharisee guy. It looked great, had a bunch of great friends, but deep down what I was thinking was, I'm better than you because of X, Y, and Z, right? But then uh, towards the end of college, I was sitting under some great preaching in the book of Romans. My heart was quickened to my own depravity, had a stint as a waiter, uh, which helped me see kind of our collective brokenness as humanity. If you know restaurants, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> then early in seminary, I, worked, I walked through this dark night of the soul. I was in the pit, and I thought that I'd broken away from all that pharisaical junk, living by comparison and credentials. Then one night in the last year of my coursework in Dallas, I found myself surrounded by, like, the most, the most brokenness I'd ever experienced, uh, like more brokenness than I'd ever I've experienced since. And what had happened was a friend of mine who had recently come to faith, kind of had this Damascus Road boom thing happen, uh, and I got, I got a chance to walk alongside him and disciple him for a couple of years, but um, he, he asked me to a party. I was like, sure, man, this is great. I'll come to a party. About 20 minutes into said party, like things changed. And it, it was not the kind of party that even in my, you know, after being in the restaurant scene for a year and a half, like, this was a different kind of party. And um, that's, that's really all I can say. Just lots of brokenness, lots of depravity. And I'm really uncomfortable. But I told my friend I would accompany them they don't seem to think this is that big a deal. So I'm, I'm in this party and I'm surrounded by all this brokenness and all this depravity that's on full display. And, um, and then time stops. And people's voices, the music goes down to mute. And I heard God clearly say, are you ready to stop playing the Pharisee? And in that, like, quiet, paused moment, and I could still see this 360-degree view of, like, all the brokenness of humanity around me, I heard in my heart of hearts, Britt, you don't bring anything more to the table in regards to your salvation than any of these people do. And just like that, my heart was quickened. Literally, my heart was changed in an instant. Then, of course, the music turned back up, the voices came back up, and I'm just sitting there after this epiphany and realizing, oh my goodness, I've been a Pharisee. I've still been judging people. I've still been relying on my own righteousness rather than Christ's. I realized that there were these vestiges of comparison still there. The grave clothes of credentials were still wrapped around my neck, just trusting in my own ability, not what God had done for me. But there at the tax collector's party, in God's infinite goodness to me, he freed me. Now, I don't know where you stand on tattoos, uh, but that moment changed me forever, and so I wanted to mark it, as it were. Uh, 
And I didn't want to forget, like the ancient, the Israelites would set up stone boundary markers as a remembrance. I got a tattoo. It's pretty much the same thing. One hurts a lot more. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so yeah, so like, why 11 hours of pain? Why all that money on a tattoo? Because this impacted me so deeply that I didn't ever want to go back. I didn't ever want to go back. So what the Lord did through this scripture is he led me out of self-righteousness. He led me out of comparing myself to those around me, out of resting upon my credentials. He led me into a deeper understanding that everyone is my neighbor. Like, like everybody is my neighbor. He led me into a more gracious and loving response to others and myself. He led me into this deeper understanding that the gospel really is good news. That you and I don't have to work at it to be accepted. Like, we, we don't have to earn our way into God's good graces. So no more comparison, no more credentials for me. Basil the Great commented on this scripture. He was talking about the Pharisee here. He was judged inferior to a humble man and a sinner because in his self-examination, and listen to this, he did not await the judgment of God, but instead pronounced it himself. Yeesh. Never place yourself above anyone else, not even great sinners. This is what Jesus was getting at in this parable, y'all. Wait for God to do the judging. So I don't know where this scripture is hitting you, where the mirror, what it's revealed, um, but my prayer for us is that he's leading us continually out of self-reliance, out of um, this self-righteousness that we may not even know is there and purely onto his mercy. So we can come to God uh, like the Pharisee did. He's got a bunch of eyes. Um, God, thank you that I am not like these people. And by the way, we've got a lot of those people that we can point to in our current culture. God, thank you that I'm like this because I tithe, um, I give to the poor, I say my prayers, I've got the right clothes, I've got this, I've got that, I've got that, right? Um, or we can simply come with humility. We can drop our eyes like the tax collector and say, God, have mercy on me. God have mercy on me. So we come to the table this morning. I want you to close your eyes um, so that you can listen. I want to read uh, from the Prayer of Humble Access. It's out of right one in the Book of Common Prayer. So the, the English is going to be a little archaic, but listen to the words. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of thy dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us.